we are in a series called Running with the Giants. This is our last week, and our key verse for the entire series is found in Hebrews 12.1, and it's in your notes. You can read there with us. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. John C. Maxwell's book, Running with the Giants, has been the inspiration for this series. So far, we have been on a journey with some Bible characters, because picture this. You are in a stadium with a full-on crowd, and they're roaring, they're cheering you on, you're running the race that's your life, and in the middle of the race, with each lap that you have, a different Bible character comes and joins you in your race or on the lap. And in that time, they tell you their story. Remember how we told our story? We learned that a few a month ago or so. And they give you some life lessons along the way. So who have we been joined with so far? Do you guys remember? Elijah, Esther, and what was the other one? I, Isaiah. There you go, Taylor. Okay, Isaiah. All right. Yep, yeah, thanks. Okay. <laughs> so today we're not focusing on just one person of faith. We're focusing on two, the sisters, Mary and Martha, which you probably already saw in your notes. Now, they're not your average people of faith. They're not like the great father of faith, Abraham, or they didn't have superhuman strength like Samson, but they were people of faith in their own right. And um, they have a really interesting story. We can learn a lot from their lives. But most often you see them together. They're a package deal because they're sisters. Who in here has a sister and you're kind of a package deal? You're found together a lot. Okay, so I have a younger sister, Caitlin, and she is my opposite in nearly every way. She's ultra sanguine, not saying I'm boring, but she's like over the top. She's a drama queen. Everything is just crazy and fun with her. And this is a picture of Caitlin. It wasn't supposed to be Caitlin. <laughs> It was supposed to be me and Taylor back there. So that is kind of how my childhood was. We're, we're getting ready to take a picture, and who jumps in? Caitlin, my sister. And um, what's interesting is that Caitlin, too, married a pastor's son, and they pastored down in South Texas. And she did grow up. So this is Caitlin today. You can see on this next picture, there's myself and my sister, Caitlin. That's my mom and my sister-in-law, Megan. So... Um, you know, when we were growing up, Caitlin and I were like night and day, but we we're also people that would pretty much be joined at the hip. You know, we wanted to play together, we wanted to be together, we would take up for each other, we would fight, but we loved each other. And the same goes for Mary and Martha, that sister duo. You know, in many ways, they're like Caitlin and I. They weren't exactly alike, they were pretty much opposites, but you nearly always find them together. So as Mary and Martha begin to ascend from the cloud of witnesses and they're coming from the stands to join us, I want to give you a little introduction to them. First and foremost, they're the sisters of Lazarus. Remember Lazarus in the Bible, who's later raised from the dead? So spoiler, um, he, they lived in Bethany, a small town outside of Jerusalem, and they were known as friends of Jesus. I mean, really, if you think about that, they knew him, he knew them. The Bible says that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And in that time, women weren't thought of as equals as men, right? They were kind of second-class citizens. And so I think it's interesting that Jesus takes the time to give to Mary and Martha. That's significant. 
So one of the most famous passages of Mary and Martha is found in Luke 10. So can you open your Bibles to Luke 10? We're starting in verse 38. So Luke is in the New Testament. So one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's the third Gospel. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. There's some wrestling. We'll let you get it. So Jesus is visiting the home of Martha. So it means that, that Martha is probably a person of some substance or some wealth, that she may have a house that's, she has a house that's large enough to entertain people. So oftentimes it doesn't say that she's married. We don't know. Um, but here she is opening her home to refresh others. So let's read it. You guys found it? Okay, this is the NIV, but it's up on here. I have it in a couple slides. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, this is verse 41, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What I believe that both Mary and Martha would say um, as we begin our lap together, that, that the, um, the main thought that's woven throughout their story is this. It's in your notes. We're going to fill in a blank. It says, choose the better way. Choose the better way. What's the better way? It's that Mary gave Jesus her full attention. We find her in this posture of sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he said. And Jesus himself said that Mary had chosen what was? That starts with a B. Better, yes. And what was Martha doing through all this? She was actually doing what was expected of her. She was doing really good things. You know, she was the hostess with the mostest. She has a house full of people. She's not ignoring those people. You know, she is going and trying to make sure that everyone feels welcome or maybe preparing the meal or cleaning up after kids that are running around. Who knows what she's doing? But she's busy. And in ancient Jewish culture, women would not generally be sitting listening to the teacher as Mary was. They would be doing what Martha was doing, those good things. But Mary did that which was better. And in true sister fashion, Martha is a tattletale. So any of you have a sibling that was a tattletale growing up? Or maybe you were that sibling that was a tattletale. She fully expected Jesus to get her back and say, yeah, yeah, Mary, you need to join your sister. and You're hosting me and my disciples and my followers. You need to join her. But we, we find that Martha, right from the get-go, is exasperated. You know, her sister's just lounging, not carrying her weight, and taking care of all that's required when you have a house full of people. So let's talk birth order. We don't really know. This is just for fun. Just humor me a minute. We don't know exactly who was the oldest or their birth order in the Bible. Some people believe it was maybe Martha. But think about it. Have you seen that guy on maybe Facebook or Instagram? His name's TJ something or other, and he talks birth order. Funny videos about the oldest child, middle child, baby of the family. Super funny. But I, I mean, if you picture like, okay, Martha, I would think that she would be the oldest. What do you think? 
She's type A personality. She's busy. She's bossy. She tattles. Sound familiar? Okay, then there's Lazarus, the happy-go-lucky brother. You know, he's the friend of Jesus. And then who would be the baby of the family? I mean, just maybe picture, I would think it would be Mary. What's she doing? Getting out of chores? She's being lazy, sitting, you know, just maybe doing something, not doing the work. She spends a lot of money, but she's the one that's coddled. So I don't know. It's just kind of for fun. But sometimes you got to have a little, a little fun. So there's no telling. We don't know. But maybe in heaven we can find out. Okay, back to the story. Martha expected Jesus to correct her, right? But instead she found herself being co- corrected. Jesus beckons her to stop. And basically he says, Your plans and preparations can wait. Focus on me, right? And man, that just gets me. Like, I kind of feel personally attacked. It's like, oh, focus on me. And because we live in a busy world. So many of us, I don't know if you can, but kind of can relate to Martha. Things are going, going, going. You have to take care of your house. And if you have kids with kids or grandkids or make sure that everybody's fed and grocery shop and all these things that are good things, But Jesus is saying, take a step back and focus on me. You can do those things if you put me first, because in your notes it says, what we give our minds attention to gets our heart affection. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first his kingdom kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what do we need to do? Put him first. That means when you wake up, we put him first. First, you read, you pray, you dedicate that time to him, and throughout the day, your thoughts are never very far from him. As Mary were, he's your number one focus. Because as Jesus saying, is it okay? He's not saying, be lackadaisical, don't take care of what needs to get taken care of, but it means put him first. That's right. In your notes, it says, our lives should, be, should reveal the value of Jesus Christ. He's everything. He's above all. Psalm 27.4 was written by the psalmist David, which kind of parallels Mary in our story. He was known after the man after God's own heart. It says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David understood that nothing meant more than being in God's presence. Okay, you know I love to shop, right? If you know me, I just, I love to shop. It's just my thing. And I remember seeing a story or hearing a story that Joyce Meyer said, and she said, what does it mean to seek God? And everybody pauses and she's like, have you ever seen a woman at a 75% off sale? (laughs) Seek God with that kind of passion or that fervency and you'll find him. Because truly, have you ever gotten up early to go shopping to get that sale? It's like, I gotta do it, you're driven. That's what we should drive us, to seek God. Francis Chan said, following Christ isn't something that can be done half-heartedly or on the side. It's not a label we can display when it's useful. It must be central to everything we do and are. And that's what I love. I love how he says central because that's where Jesus belongs. His rightful place in our lives is at the center of it all. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, okay, so we've made it past our first turn. That's the longest of all, but sometimes the beginning is the hardest. Number one, we know that God, I believe this is what they would say, know that God is sovereign. Know that God is sovereign. Mary and Martha saw that firsthand because after Jesus stayed at their house, he traveled 
he went and did some things. He did some preaching, and he healed people, and he was gone. And we're going to go to John 11, so why don't you find John 11. Jesus had been away for a while, and in the meantime, Jesus' friend, the one he loved, gets sick. Who gets sick? Their brother, yes, Lazarus. And back then they couldn't text, so they sent a message to Jesus, like an SOS flare type thing. Jesus, we need you, because he wasn't just sick with a cold. It's like in the ER type sick situation, which they didn't have back then, but it was like, Jesus, we know you can heal him. So let's find John 11, verse 4, 4 to 7. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Okay, that all makes sense so far, right? But then we get to this, verse 6. It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Jesus waited. And during that time of waiting, what happened? Lazarus died, but it didn't make sense to them because why would Jesus hesitate? He could have gone on easily and just healed him. It didn't make sense because in their minds, their minds were infinite, but when we know that God is sovereign. So in verse 14, you can go down a little further. It says, so then he told his, because his disciples were saying, Jesus, why, why? And in verse 14, he says, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Okay, so that still didn't make sense to them, but soon they'd find out what that meant. Because we know from Esther that God has the master plan because he is the master, anybody remember? Planner. Yes, we know that God's ways are higher than our ways. He's sovereign. God's timing is perfect. And he didn't hesitate to just, just to hesitate to hesitate. He hesitated because he had a plan and he wanted to showcase his power. So when Jesus arrived in Bethany, both Mary and Martha both came to him and they, they said essentially the same thing. They said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha even added this, but I know, this is interesting. She said, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Bingo, even Martha had faith that Jesus could do anything. And then she says this in verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who's come into the world. Did you ever realize that? That Martha even knew that, God, that Jesus was the Messiah. She had faith. All these people, they didn't believe that, yeah, he's a teacher, he's a healer, but she knew that he was the Messiah. She had a lot of faith. So after Martha went to Jesus, he sent for Mary, and it says that when Jesus saw Mary weeping, that he too wept. You know, the, the, the shortest verse in the Bible that you memorize as a kid, Jesus wept, is in this story that Jesus wept. He was overcome with emotion. And so John 11, verse 38, is where we're going to read next. What happens next? It's Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So Jesus, once again, or once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Martha, she's ever the practical one, right? She said, hey, like I know you could do this, but ooh. So verse 40, Jesus says, 
Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Isn't that kind of funny? Jesus is teaching them as he's praying and kind of giving a little dig, like, I know who you are, but I'm about to teach these people and show them who you are. So Jesus, in verse 43, he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, what does he say? Come out. And the dead man came out. That would be a little freaky. He has the, the, you know, the wrappings over his face and on his body, and he comes out. And he says, take off the grave clothes and let him go, because without death, there could be no resurrection. Sometimes you'll face pain and hardships in life, but wait, a resurrection is coming. Lazarus's death benefited the onlookers because Jesus waited, because he hesitated. Your timing and God's timing are not, probably not the same, right? But know that his timing is perfect and it's sovereign because he is omnipotent. What's that mean? He's all powerful. He's omniscient. He's all what? Knowing. He's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere with you. He's sovereign, guys. And you might think he's abandoned you, but just know there could be a miracle in the works for you. That he'll be victorious, that he'll reign, and he will never fail you. They thought Jesus failed him. Jesus, you're too late. You already had the funeral. But Jesus said, oh, just wait, there's a resurrection coming. And, you know, so often we have this concept of a microwave. We were like, we want things quick, we want them fast. I'm going to pop in that frozen lasagna, four minutes, 45 seconds, done, go, eat it. But God is more like this. He's more like an oven. And he says, wait, it takes an hour for that same lasagna, right? But if you eat it, can you tell a difference? Yeah, it's a better texture. It just tastes better. God says, wait on me, wait on my timing. Lamentations 3, 22 to 26. It's in your notes under know that God is sovereign. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, sometimes you have to say this to yourself, right? The Lord is my portion, therefore I will Wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes he hesitates, but he has a plan in place because he is sovereign. Trust that he knows what he's doing. Okay, so just know that waiting on God's perfect timing is not a passive activity. It's a time that you need to be, that you need to be active. You need to depend on God. You need to be obedient to God. In your notes, we have how to trust God's sovereignty. Who in here is practical? Any Martha's that are kind of practical? You practical? I am, and I want to know how can I do this? So let's see. It says, believe God is in control of everything. Okay, be patient. Thank you, Roman. Do what you can. Don't give in to fear or worry. Remain obedient to his word. Pray continually. Thank you guys. Praise him for his plan. That last one is because of Lynette Chapman. She's been on that. Praise him for his plan. If you will do those things, that is trusting in God's sovereignty. That's saying, God, I trust you to take care of it. 
I'm your child, you know what's best for me, and I'm gonna trust you. Bill Johnson once said, every loss is temporal, every victory is eternal. So you might have some, experience some pain, or some hardship, but just wait. That victory is eternal. All right, let's go. We're getting ready for our next turn. Believe, this is what they would say. We're already over, way over halfway done. And they're saying, okay, we're going to lean in. I'm going to tell you this next thought. It says, believe, number two, you will see the glory of God. Believe you will see the glory of God. Smack dab in the middle of that story in John 11, at verse 40, Jesus says these words. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So Mary and Martha and all these other mourners, no doubt, saw the glory of God revealed. Because what happened? He was dead. He was raised to life. Could you imagine that? Would that not be a glorious thing, seeing God's glory? It's not just that he healed him, which is super great. But Jesus also said, oh, that's nothing. Watch and see what I'm going to do. I can bring this guy back to life. Back to life. Bill Johnson, again, he's, he, I just love him with this area. This is his area. And so I, I love this quote that he said, every miracle brings the release of glory. We as fellow Christians need to believe that we too will see the glory of God. Because miracles didn't die with the Bible. God's word is still alive and working today. What do we need to do? We need to believe that we will see the glory of God. Believe that he is capable because he's sovereign and can do anything. And we're his tools that we can help make that happen. Say, God, let your glory be shown in my life because my destiny is to go to heaven and my responsibility is to bring heaven. Bill Johnson said that too. We are to have heaven here on earth, to experience the power of heaven here on earth. That when we walk into the room, things change because the glory of God is manifested. I love in Matthew 21, I'm going to give you some things that Jesus said. You remember in the story when he cursed the fig tree? When his disciples asked him about it, he says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And then later when he talks with the rich young ruler, he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Okay, and then later when he's talking, he's addressing his disciples after um, healing a demon-possessed boy. He says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a, do you remember what that was? Mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Are those words encouraging your faith? Yeah, it does mean. In Job 5, 9, it says, he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. That's our God, right? What if we lived our lives believing that? We, what would we be experiencing? What would the people around us be experiencing? How would their lives be changed and transformed? Because God wants to do it, right? Pastor Rick Warren, he said, what is the glory of God? So listen to this. He, he, he just puts it so eloquently. What is the glory of God? It is who God is. It is the essence of his nature, the weight of his importance, the radiance of his splendor, the demonstration of his power, and the atmosphere of his presence. Hmm. Wouldn't that be cool to experience each and every day 
And he says, let me reveal my glory and you will see it. So we hear about Mary and Martha again in one more story. And it's this last one. You probably heard it. Jesus is anointed a few times in the Gospels. But this, this is a time with Mary and Martha. It's in John 12. If you, if you can flip quickly, we'll go to John 12, 1 and 3. This is the last time that, that we see Mary and Martha. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. You guys doing okay, by the way? Yes? Okay, we're almost done. All right. Where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, oh, shocking, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. There's a brother, okay? Then we have Mary. It says, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. The last time they were together, what were things filled with? Maybe the smell of a dead man. And this time, here we are, the fragrance of the perfume of that pure nard. Again, we find Mary, or Martha serving, and Mary's kneeling. And I, I would just venture to say that if we were with Mary and Martha, that they would say, this is the last, last point in our story, and it's in your notes. They would tell us to worship God with everything you have. Worship God with everything you have. Martha was ever the, the, you know, the busy hostess bee again. But this time she's not um, criticized or corrected, is probably the better word, by Jesus. So maybe now as she's serving, maybe she's leaning in a little more and listening to what Jesus, Jesus says. But we find she's still serving. But we know that she knows that Jesus is the Messiah. So maybe his, his words hold more importance to her now. You know, that maybe she's living her life in a different way. Like, hey, I can still be myself and host but I also give attention to Jesus. And Mary here, she's the one that exhibits total devotion to Jesus when she goes down to his feet in the posture of a servant and she pours out this costly perfume on Jesus' feet. And Judas Iscariot, you know, he is the disciple that's later gonna betray Jesus and he criticizes Mary and says that she was being wasteful and that perfume could have been sold to take care of people, to poor people, I mean, you know, he's criticizing her and really he would rather keep the money for himself, but saying that we could have taken care of these poor people because it was a year's worth of wages. Can you imagine spending an entire year of your salary on one gift to lay at Jesus' feet? Crazy. So the perfume was not only costly, but Mary gives of herself. Like we said, she, she goes in the posture of a servant and she kind of foreshadows what Jesus would do in the Passover, that he would kneel at, his, uh, at the disciples' feet, right? And that he too would show them that I'm here to serve you and love you. But I think it took guts on her part because what would people think? You know, what would they say? And she counted that cost and she determined that it was worth it. And even the, the money cost of things, she determined that it's worth it because I'm anointing the one that I love. I'm worshiping him with everything that I have, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. And then she's putting um, her money where her mouth is, essentially. You know, she's saying, I give you my total devotion. So often we are kind of unwilling to give that of ourselves. 
in this situation. You know, sometimes we're like, oh, what are people going to think if I raise my hands or if I pray out loud or what if I have to maybe serve with the kids or do something else, you know, give of my time or what if God asks me to give above and beyond and I don't get my fancy coffee that I want or I don't get to buy this new whatever that I wanted because I sacrificed for that. But Jesus says, I want all of you. And it's so worth it to give him everything you have because that's what he wants. He wants your full devotion. It's in your notes. He wants all of you. Not some of it. Not some of the time. Not when it's convenient for us. He wants all of us. And so we're about to, we're getting close to ending here. We have Psalm 95, 1 to 6 in your notes. And it says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. And if we truly consider that God is not just our friend, but he's our savior, he's everything. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and omega. He holds our very life in his hands. He gives us life. And if we consider that, spending a little time worshiping him is nothing, right? He wants our total devotion as Mary gave. You know, this is kind of like our last little bit. Abigail, we talked about her earlier. She loves to sing and she loves to worship. And sometimes it's embarrassing for me, but we'll be in a place like Target as we were the other day. And she's singing in the aisle. And I mean, it's like not from up here. It's like here. She's like, set a fire down in my soul. And she's like, that I can't contain, that I can't control. And she's singing it. And oh, and it's loud. And it's not just for us. And I'm like, Abigail. And I want to tell her to stop. And then I have to stop myself and be like, no, she's worshiping. And it, it really convicts me because I'm like, would I be so willing in front of other people to show that man, like I'm brought to tears because of what God did for me. Or I am willing to maybe jump around like David in the Bible. You know, he got a little undignified and was jumping and praising God after he'd won in battle. It's like sometimes we need to just let it go. Be like, it doesn't matter what people think. It only matters what matters. Yeah, what God thinks. It's about Jesus, that he's everything. And so our lives should be a posture of that as Mary just showed us our lives are lived for him. And everything we do, everything we are, it's for him. This last little thought in your notes or in your lesson or your sermon guide, it says, this is from a song. Have you, do you guys recognize the lyrics of that song? It's an old one. It's an oldie but a goodie. And maybe you can look it up this week. You know, it's um, I Give You My Heart, or it's called This Is My Desire, too. It kind of has two titles. But it really is just kind of sums up what it means to give God our full devotion, all of all of us. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to read it. And this, just let this be your prayer this week and beyond. It says, this is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. All I have within me, I give you praise. All that I adore is in you. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. 
I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. Thank you for tuning in today. For more content like this, visit our website, www.pathwaychurchok.com to see the variety of ways you can download this content and so much more. It's our pleasure that you would tune in, and we believe that if you take the content you just heard, write down the parts that spoke to you, and work on a plan to apply it, you will not be the same person a year from now. We hope today you can take this content, apply it, share it, let it change you, and you can become all God has called you to become. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll be together again soon. Until then, keep growing.